You're listening to episode 167 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Hey, what's up, storytellers? We have literary agent J.L. Sturmer on the show with us today. But before we jump right into our episode, I want to thank Gotham Writers for supporting our show and the work that we do that has allowed us to become the go-to community for storytellers. Gotham Writers teaches creative writing classes online and in New York City where they've built an incredible reputation for nearly 30 years. And guess what? Their first ever Gotham Writers Conference in New York City this October is dedicated to arming you with all the knowledge and actionable feedback to best help you land a literary agent. Please do me a favor and stick around at the end of this episode so you can hear more details like their four-hour quality time with two top literary agents in your genre. We discuss this and more in my chat with Josh Sippy, the director of contests and conferences over at Gotham Writers. I personally know the team at Gotham Writers who are all writers themselves and they truly care about fellow storytellers. They've created something really special and is unlike any conference I've ever heard of before. Head over to writingclasses.com slash writers dash conference. That's writingclasses.com slash writers dash conference. And be sure to stay tuned for my conversation with Josh, where we also talk about his work in progress, forming writing groups, and how his querying process is going. Now on to the next part of our show. Guess what's happening in just a couple of weeks? 88 Cups of Tea is turning four years old. Can you believe it? We wouldn't be able to do what we do without all of your love and support, and we want to celebrate this milestone with you online. If you have any suggestions you'd love for me to consider about how we should celebrate as a community, send us an email at hello at 88cupsofteacom and I'm so looking forward to hearing from you and celebrating together. Now on to today's guest, J.L. Sturmer is a literary agent at New Leaf Literary and Media. In our conversation, we dive into how JL fell in love with storytelling and the journey she took to making her literary agent career at New Leaf Literary and Media come to fruition. We talk about being open to new opportunities and being vulnerable when asking for advice and help when you need it. We then get into the finances of being a literary agent at all levels and how she knows which clients she wants to work with and the importance of marketing yourself and making connections. She explains what backlist and earning out the check means in the publishing world and discusses the culture at New Leaf Literary and Media. Later in our conversation, we talk about the classes that she teaches at Gotham Writers and all about the Gotham Writers Conference held in New York City on October 25th and 26th. JL was also so generous to share a cheat sheet with our community on the do's and don'ts when querying a literary agent. You can find it over at her show notes page at 88cupsofteacom slash podcast slash JL dash Sturmer. Okay, now let's just jump right in because I have a feeling you're going to soak in every single word that she says. 
JL, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Finally. <laughs> I'm very excited too. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I am so pumped about this. You came highly recommended from our mutual buddy, Josh Sippy over at Gotham Writer. So this is really awesome for the listeners listening in. We were chatting a little bit before this and we we're talking about how we know of each other and we've worked with each other in different ways, like one degree separation from each other. And it's been quite a while. And finally, now there is no degree of separation between us. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) All right. Before we get into all the details, I love to start off way back your earliest memories of how you specifically fell in love with storytelling in your own way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. I think I was definitely a theatrical kid. I'm an only child. I'm an only child and I grew up in a single parent household. So it was just me and my mom. And I definitely spent a lot of time alone, which was totally fine with me. So I spent a lot of time in my room with my toys and my dolls. And I remember recording, I had like a tape recorder and I would record myself telling stories on tape and then play it back. And I think I've always had really active imagination and story storytelling is clearly a part of that. Were you a huge reader and was your mom always encouraging you to pick up books? It's funny. My mom did encourage me to read a lot. She And she also was a reader, but she was dyslexic and she didn't know that for a really long time. So she always had a really hard time at school. She got her GED. She was very kind of down on herself academically because back in the day, nobody really knew what dyslexia was. So she just was kind of thinking that she wasn't smart and she knew that she wanted to read. And so she would encourage me to read a lot and she would read too, but I would see her turning the pages really slowly. And I would, you know, kind of tease her a little bit, not understanding what was going on. So there was an interesting kind of dynamic there. But I would say I remember the first two books that I read as a kid non-picture books were Benji, which is a story of a little scruffy dog. (laughs) And then The Secret Garden. I just remember reading a couple of pages every night before I would go to sleep and kind of making the adjustment from looking at pictures to just the text, creating pictures in my mind. I remember that connection and really, really loving it. When we're usually talking with authors, there's very much a distinct visual for them where they're like, oh, I hope one day that I can write stories of my own. But with literary agents specifically, it's kind of more of a mystery. It's like the guy behind Wizard of Oz in between like, you know, middle school, high school. Were you still really into books or is this something that died and like did your thing as a teenager and then refound your love for the words, I guess you can say? Wow. You're like mad, crazy, intuitive. I love that you're asking these questions. It did, you know, it did kind of die a little bit because I I think I kind of segued into theater and I remember performing in poetry recitals in grade school. And it wasn't like poetry writing. It was like I would memorize like a Shel Silverstein poem or like something like kind of fun and silly. And I would recite them in the auditorium in front of everybody. And I would win first place. And then I kind of followed that storytelling thread or that performance vibe into high school. And I went to LaGuardia High School here in New York City. 
I did that for a while. And then the story kind of translated into working in fashion. So then I was still in a visual arts medium and I worked in a showroom. It's not unlike what I'm doing now representing authors, but I worked in a wholesale showroom where we represented lots of different designers. So if you owned a store, you would come in and I would merchandise the line for you and I would write up the orders and I worked all the trade shows, just like, you know, in the literary world, we had the book expo. They would have a bunch of trade shows for fashion and things like that. So I I got my feet wet doing that kind of stuff in the fashion world, but still it was a connection with arts and creativity and still visual. And then from there, I, I was around 27 and I still didn't have my bachelor's degree because right after high school, I went to Temple University in Philly, which was really fun. And I studied theater, but I wasn't really committed to it. And then when I came back to the city and I was working in fashion, I went to FIT at night. I kept trying to get my degree. And then by the end, I just thought when I was leaving the fashion world, because it just was not a good fit for me, the energy, the vibe, the people, those weren't my people. I think I was really looking for my people. When I stopped working in fashion, I said, look, let me just get my bachelor's. <laughs> my mom got her GED. My dad graduated from high school. And I knew that was really important to my mom. So I wound up applying and getting into the general studies program, which is a part of Columbia University, which was amazing. I'm a public school girl. You know, I had never really been in a prestigious academic environment like that. And my mother had held that to such high esteem that I thought, this is amazing for me. I'm making my mom proud. And it was an incredible experience. I think it showed me, it reconnected me with words because I had to write. I had to go back and do English comp. Even though I was 27 years old, uh, you know, I still had to do some of the basic core stuff because Columbia wants to, you know, they want to mold you from the beginning, from the start, wherever you're starting from. So uh, I, I took these English classes and I had to write. And I remember thinking, I don't need to take these classes. Like, I know how to write. Like, this is <laughs> that's what I'm good at. Like, that's my, that's my forte. And what I realized was that I didn't know how to critically and analytically think. You know, like that part of me was a little bit underdeveloped. And so I really flexed that, learned how to flex that at Columbia. And then when I was leaving, when I graduated, I got my bachelor's degree when I was 30. I was excited because I was kind of like, okay, I, I had a new level of confidence. I can do anything right now. I don't know what I want to do. But you know, the most logical thing people were saying, either you go to law school or you get your PhD when you get your degree in English lit. And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't yeah, I don't want to do either of those things. I already feel like I'm a little bit behind. I don't really want to incur more debt. I need to kind of get out in the world and see what I want to do. And the thing that made the most sense to me was working in publishing. So I thought editorial would be a really good match for me because I had been spending all this time reading, writing, editing, and, and all that jazz. And so I was applying for some editorial positions. And I did that thing where you reach out to everybody and say, hey, I'm starting in this industry. Do you know anybody that I can have coffee with that I can pick a brain, all that stuff. I did that and applied for, for some editorial positions. I only got so far. And then at the same time, I was, I used to work in this cocktail lounge. I was waitressing. I did that on and off for a million years. And this guy came in with uh, his lady and they were super sweet and we were chatting. And at one point he looks up at me and he says, are you a writer? And I looked at him and I was like, uh, I can write, but I'm not a writer. And he handed me his business card and he said, well, if you ever write anything, I would love to read it. And I looked down at the business card and it said, Donald Moss, literary agent. So I look at this card 
literary agent. Like I didn't even know that that was a thing. And I said, okay, great. But it clicked with me. Like I kind of felt like that maybe it wasn't editorial. Maybe it was being a literary agent because that felt more like my speed finding the stories and pairing them up with a publishing house and kind of doing a deal and getting out in the world and finding the cool stuff and making it happen. That part of it was appealing to me. Like most literary agents, I feel like it's a very circuitous path to getting there. Most agents were either lawyers. Increasingly, I feel like a lot of editors are becoming literary agents, which I think is really interesting. But we come from a very mix of paths, but there's not like a, not that I know of, like a college major that you can, you know, major in literary agenting. That's not a thing as far as I know, but that's kind of how I, I found my way to it. Man, did I answer your question? No, yes, you, you I did. Went, no, oh. I have like a million questions. Cause I'm like, wait, so Donald Mass, can you give us a little bit of a background is, so he owns his own agency. So Don Moss has been in the industry. I want to say 30 plus years. Wow. His main bread and butter is thrillers and sci-fi and fantasy and lots of genre fiction. He used to have an office here in Manhattan. I don't know where, um, I know he still has an agency, but I'm not sure where they are right now, but he was a very well-respected guy who owned his own agency and just happened to come into this cocktail lounge where I was working. And there was some kind of exchange of energy there where he was like, okay, this person, I guess he's I was interesting and cool. I do think, because I'm totally a believer of this, that I was in the process of, I was in the mindset of publishing. I was thinking, you know, I sent that email out and, you know, let a lot of people know that I was looking to be in this industry. I was applying for jobs in this industry. I was, you know, thinking about it. And so when that showed up, it was legit a part of the industry. It was just like something that I wasn't familiar with. And then it was just very fortuitous that it matched up with like who I am as a person. But I will also say this, when I was cocktail waitressing, it was at a spot that was, it was like right at the beginning of artisanal cocktails, like fancy pants cocktails, where you, you know talk about all the ingredients. Now it's kind of like a dime a dozen, like, like signature cocktails are everywhere. But this was really in the beginning of that time. So part Part of my job was to help pair the person sitting in the seat with the kind of cocktail that they would like. So it required a lot of chatting on my part. What do you normally like to drink? Like, what are you in the mood for? And I could do it either by just talking to somebody and not opening the menu, or I could go through the menu and say this, you know, describe the cocktails to them, whatever, whatever's clever. But I, I think that that had something to do with it, right? Because I was just kind of being myself and I, and I knew those cocktails like the back of my hand, they were super cool and sweet. And I could tell that they wanted me to kind of hang out and talk. So I think that maybe something from the way that I was telling the story of the cocktail that he was like, oh, like this person like is a storyteller. It definitely had something to do with that because how the hell did he know that I was looking to work in publishing? He had no idea. Yes. Also, I do believe in showing up and you showed up a thousand percent. And I think that's something that is rare, especially for those who are having side jobs hustling just to make sure to pay off student loans or pay off rent. So many artists I've met have these other jobs, but then they don't show up at their best because either they're having a really shitty day or they just don't want to be there or they feel like, oh, this is just a stop along the way. So I don't need to show up. But you show up everywhere you go, no matter what job, no matter where you are. And look at the opportunities that come your way because you are ready and you're willing for it. And you are a pleasure to be with. I think that says so much about you 
as a human being and your character as a person. Thank you so much for saying that. I hear you and I, I super appreciate that. And it's funny, like, I think don't, you know, this isn't to say that I didn't go to work sometimes and have like a bit of an attitude because I'm a human and I definitely yeah. have my moods in my, and th- it was definitely challenging. I mean, when you think about it, I was cocktail waitressing in my like early thirties and I had been doing that on and off and I had just been uh, graduated from Columbia. So it was kind of in this place where I was like, I could do anything, but I was kind of freaked out by the fact that I ha- could do anything. And, and it, I had so many opportunities and I kind of stuck to the thing and I just, I needed to keep cocktail waitressing so I could, like you said, survive, pay pay the bill. Yeah. When I was trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do with this degree. So, so yeah, there were definitely times where I was probably less than, but I would say for a majority of the time, I just feel like it's more fun that way. I mean, if ever, if I'm going to be on my feet, wearing a little dress, running back and forth in heels for hours and hours on end, like, let me make this fun for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want the people in my section to have a good time and I want them to have a new experience. And, and, you know, it wasn't until I had been agenting for a few years that I even realized how much that those years of bartending and waitressing really helped me to be the kind of agent that I am today. Cause I used to give myself a really hard time. Um, you know, you're, well, how are you waitressing? Why are you waitressing? Like you have a degree, what are you doing? You're better than this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I looked back and I was like, wow, all of the things that I do intuitively, the multitasking, the figuring out, meeting somebody where they're at, you know, their energy level, figuring out what they need from me, dealing with the busboys, the bartenders, the coworkers, the managers, the, you know, the hostess, when you're, when you're jamming at a restaurant, that's crazy busy. You gotta, you gotta be on point all the time. And Mm -hmm. I think that I had I had been doing that for so many years and that it was kind of autopilot, but it was really gratifying to look back and be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like that was, that was good. That was a training for something and I'm grateful for it now. And I didn't, I really tried not to hate on it while I was doing it, but sometimes it was a challenge. Were you also juggling the cocktail waitress job while you first dipped your toe in as an agent? Like, so from, from after getting that card from Donald's, how did you take that first leap? Did you directly approach him with his business card or you started looking on Craigslist or like jobs? I don't, I don't think Craigslist, but like, I don't know. Like- <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. Because I mean, it's so, it's so random. Like you don't necessarily, I think that now there's more information in line uh, online clearly about being a literary agent, but it was definitely like, like I said, I didn't even know that it was a job, but to answer your question, I mean, the first thing that I did was I wrote this email to him. Uh, I think it was either that night or the next day. And I laugh now I've tried to find it, but I don't, I can't find it. I don't know if it was like an old email account because I, I want to go back and edit it. I wrote a letter that I'm sure was much too long and much too dense and much too effusive. And like, and clearly it was fine, but it was one of those, you know, emails where I said, um, you know, if you or anyone, you know, is looking for someone, I'm looking to get into this business. And I just kind of laid it out on the line, sent him this email. Oh, you're going to like this. <laughs> and then I didn't, I didn't hear from him for like six months. Like I didn't hear back. I didn't hear back from him. Oh shit! And I just kind of thought like, okay, I'm doing this thing. I'm, I was reading some manuscripts for one person. Like I was doing drips and drabs. And I think that I was doing enough drips and drabs that it made me feel like I was dipping my toe a little bit. And then six months later, <laughs> I was working one night 
And Donald Moss came in again with <gasps> his wife and they sat in the same section. They sat in the same seat that they were sitting in. I think it was table 33. Wait, do they get, <laughs> do they get seated there or did they choose to walk over there and sit there? Um, was, I feel like it was pretty early in the evening. And I think that they walked over there. They uh, clearly had an, they had an intention. Like yes. he came in, I didn't know that, but he clearly had an intention. And that particular table was right along a little bit of a banister, which was like a great thing to kind of lean on and like chill and talk and hang out. So he and his wife sat at that same table and I saw them and I was like, Oh my God. And they were like, Hey, I remember the drinks that they had six months ago. And I said, are you having a Oh my God, a Beijing peach and like a sidecar or something, some kind of fancy sidecar. And he looked at me and he was kind of like, yeah, like, yes. Like it was, it was a crazy, I, I mean, and it's funny. To <laughs> he should have been like, girl, you got the job. <laughs> so yeah, so he, I bring, I bring him the drinks and you know, we, I don't even say anything about the letter that I sent. I was just kind of like, wow, this is cool. You're here. How's it going? D D D. And then maybe like halfway through his drink, I come over to check on them. And he says, you know, we came here because we're looking for an intern at the agency. And I wanted to know if you were interested in interning. O-M-F-G. What? Oh, he went there to poach you. Not poach me. He went there to like pluck me, right? Like I wasn't even like, what was... So so he he said that, but then right on the heels of that, he said, but it's not purely my decision. Like you have to come into the agency and meet the other agents that work there because you would be working with everybody. So he had his other, even though he owned the joint and I really appreciate the fact that he wanted to make sure that I would play nicely with everybody else. Although Mm. I'm pretty sure that he knew that I would. Mm. Um, But I think that for, you know, he had his protocol and he wanted me to come in and meet with people. And I thought, yeah, of course. So uh, I went in maybe like that next week And that's always my favorite. You know, I mean, like even right now, like I love meeting new people. I love hearing, you know, what's going on with them and just kind of seeing where they're at. And just uh, that's clearly one of my favorite things to do. So those interviews went really well. And then I started I started interning there. I was there maybe two or three days a week. I was cocktailing like maybe three or four nights a week. Um, I also, I also had another job, uh, where I was working in a photo archive. Um, and so I was just, it was this weird kind of configuration of having this bachelor's from Columbia university and me working all of these random part-time jobs. Cause I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but I just need to kind of keep the energy flow, I think. So I was doing that. So even when I was interning, I remember the first time that I showed up, it was a 19 year old girl who was an intern from NYU. And she was showing me like the copier. And I think maybe there was even like a fax machine. I don't know. That was a long time ago, but she was showing me around and I was just kind of like, I remember laughing and thinking, okay, this like 19 year old girl is showing this 30 year old woman around this agency. (laughs) And, and I'm just going to like, I don't know, I'm going to do it. I'll just figure it out. I would come to work kind of dolled up, you know, like I I didn't have any meetings or anything, but I just kind of, I dress how I feel, however I am, that's how I am. And so it was, it was a really good learning experience. Don was fantastic teacher, really gave me opportunity to sign some of my own clients, taught me about just kind of the business part of it. And, you know, he really folds people in and, and gave me kind of, I got a lay of the land by working with him. There were maybe five or six agents or maybe not even that many, maybe 
four agents that were working there at the time. And I just kind of did a little bit of everything. I went to the post office. I, you know, maintained the website. I definitely looked through the slush. You know, I learned about the slush pile and it wasn't even like what we were doing, like the type of literature that we were working on was not my bag. You know, it was like sci-fi fantasy, um, cozy mysteries, thrillers. And I actually hadn't really been reading that much lately. We had so many uh, authors that wrote about like dragons and I was kind of like, I don't know about dragons, but okay. Like people really like it and people are passionate about it. And that was the thing that I liked. I don't have to understand it, but if you like love something, then yeah, I'm, I'm with it. If you love it and it makes you happy, I'm with it. How many years were you with him? I want to say I was there. I was an, I was an intern for like maybe a year and then I was his assistant for about a year. And then I started doing a little bit of contracts. And then I met the next person who recruited me to the next agency. So I would say maybe I was there for about three years, two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Yeah, two, up to three years. When you were recruited for the next one after about two and a half years, by then you already had experience, the experience of learning how to deal with contracts. So you mentioned that Donald gave you the opportunity to find your own authors, right? Yeah. Was that something that you felt comfortable enough that by the time you moved into a transition into a different agency that you were immediately in almost like a junior agent position or a senior agent position? Well, (laughs) so yeah, there's like a lot of layers to that question. By the time I was recruited to the next agency, I had had maybe like one or two deals under my belt. The familiarity that I had had with contracts was really under the guidance of Don. And, you know, when it was time to move to this next agency, I made it very clear to the person who was recruiting me that I was not going to be his assistant. I mean, and I didn't say like, I'm not going to be your, be your assistant. I, you know, I said it delicately and appropriately, but I just wanted to make it clear that I was there to be a partner. And I thought this guy was super cool and the energy was great, but I, I wanted to make it clear that I was not, this was not an assistant position. And he said, yes, I want you to be an agent. And he didn't say junior agent, but it was clear because he had had a lot of experience and I didn't. So I was going to be a junior agent, you know, I guess technically where I was on my path. When you're a junior agent, how long were you at the one that you were recruited to? I was there for about five and a half years. And half of that time, we were a small mom and pop agency. Now, mind you, these were two talent agencies. When I was working with Don, uh, I knew that I wanted to work on nonfiction and I wanted to, if I was going to represent something, I needed, I personally needed to be excited about it. And so I had taken on a couple of things that were outside of the purview, the regular Don Moss fair. But I realized that if I was going to work with people that were writing nonfiction, that they needed to have a platform. I found that out really quickly. You know, I, I thought something was amazing. I met these two girls who were writing a book about dating and it was like hilarious and fun and I loved it, but they didn't really have much of a following. And this was like, just as platform was really becoming a thing, like you need to have a platform. And I kind of didn't get that. I had to do a little trial by fire. So I realized that I needed to be working at a talent agency because those are the people who have a platform, right? Those people are already doing whatever they're doing. I can point to them on TV or a web series or whatever it may be. And then it would make it easier for me to sell their book. And I worked for a small mom and pop agency that was then acquired two and a half years later by UTA. So, you know, I had had a little mom and pop shop time and then I had more of a, you know, larger agency experience. And 
The thing I think that was stunting me a little bit was that books were really never the main fare. When you work at a literary agency, like I'm working at New Leaf right now, we are all books all the time and a bunch of other things. But the leading point is books. You know, the, the you know that that's where all the ancillary things come from. It's really it's really about creating that specific product and then all of the beautiful things that can spin off from it. And when you know, I was working at a talent agency, they didn't really understand. I don't think a lot of them read. I don't think a lot of them really cared because the advances that you were making, like those big agencies, they make so much money. You got to do those Amy Schumer, $9 million deal, you know, mm. for people to kind of be like, oh, okay. Otherwise, I think my perception is that books were really, they just viewed books as content to make TV shows or movies. You know, it wasn't necessarily a book for the book's sake. It was a right. book. And then how can we kind of like engineer it for it to work for us so we can make all of this money and yada yada. Yeah, so, so very, very profit first. Yes, totally. And I was, you know, and I was still kind of getting my feet wet and trying to figure out what I was going to do. So I wasn't really, except for the one person that I was working with, I wasn't really surrounded by a bunch of energetic book people who had had a lot of book experience. So when I was trying to be a sponge, it was like there wasn't too much to soak up that was directly related to what I was doing. So it was it was kind of frustrating. I mean, I always tried to make it work, like, and I did. But I think that shifting into this next phase of, you know, and I had known Joanna Volpe for a long time. When the company that I was working for was being acquired by UTA, she reached out to me and she said, you know, if I know you, you probably want to try UTA, but if you don't or you try it and it's not your cup of tea it's not your 88 cups of tea um, <laughs> i like that i would love to talk to you and so i did try it you know i did try uta it, uh, it just wasn't you know without kind of getting into the minutiae it's a culture thing it's a personality thing it's a fit i'm very clearly my own person and i try to kind of shimmy in there, but it just wasn't a good fit and that's okay. Are you allowed to share what that small boutique mom and pop agency was before they were acquired by UTA? Because I'm so curious. The name of this company was called NS Beanstalk, the letter N, the letter S, and then Beanstalk. It's kind of like Jack and the Beanstalk, but it's Beanstalk. Their main clientele were representing on-air news talent and showrunners and people behind the scenes. So they represented like, you know, Anderson Cooper and Bill O'Reilly and Robin Roberts, David Muir, and pretty much like the entire cast of 60 Minutes and the showrunner of Ellen. They had a very strong foothold in the news, specifically the news business, but then the news and television business, because they also had an alternative television division that represented talent, you know, for reality shows and again, showrunners and producers and people of that nature. So you met Joanna, was it? So it's funny. Well, um, Stephen Barbara, uh, I don't know if you know him. He works at Inkwell now. He introduced Joanna and I because Stephen Barbara was working at Donald Moss when I was there. And he was also just kind of getting his toes wet in the industry. I think he had worked for Judith Regan for a while uh, and had been working with Don and was very much in his groove. Uh, we were we were dear friends back, back then. And uh, he knew Joanna and they people would go out for agent drinks. And he, he said, oh, you got to meet Joe. We got to meet Joe. And there was a whole there was a crew of us and uh, we would meet for drinks. And Joanna and I hit it off right away. She 
she's she's from Massapequa. She's from Long Island. I grew up in Manhattan. My cousins were out on Long Island. I just thought she was a really cool chick and we vibed. So that was how I knew her. And then we would get together in that aging group, just kind of, you know, chatting about what you're working on and, you know, industry gossip and stuff. I mean, I'm not like a huge gossipy kind of a person, but it's, you know, when you're around, if you hear stuff, it's, it's fine. But we were part of that group. And then we just stayed in contact. And actually, as I was thinking of leaving UTA, because Joanna had reached out to me, I was reaching out to her a little bit more and being like, this is like, this is kind of what I'm dealing with right now, asking for a little bit of counsel. And she and she offered it. And then I think that from those conversations came the offer to work at New Leaf. Oh, okay. That is an awesome story, but also a huge takeaway is to not have any pride or ego when asking for advice. All right. So Joanna then reached out to you, knew where you were at. And we're like, okay, have this job. Do you want to accept this position? Do you want to come join us? Then from there, where, how did it come to fruition? The conversation made a transition from advice about what was happening with me in my current situation to talking about the possibility of working at New Leaf. And I will say, you know, she did, um, you know, she did mention it to me, you know, when, when UTA was acquiring, uh, the company that I was working for, that she was open to me. And I stayed at UTA for like another two and a half years, a little more than two years, because I felt like I really, UTA seemed like such a great opportunity. And it also felt so beautiful to have Joanna say to me, you know, to give me that freedom and say, now would be awesome. Later is fine too. Like you do what you got to do. And so I think that I knew that there was some kind of an opportunity there. So we have this conversation about where I'm at. And then we have another conversation about what would it look like if I were to join New Leaf? And it was a very different configuration in terms of finance, because I was working at a place where I had a certain situation where I, it was a salary position. I had health insurance. I had a transit check. I had a 401k. I had an assistant. I had an office. I mean, I had everything. I had a gold Amex account for like taking people out and stuff. And when I look back on it now, it's so funny because I didn't like, I wasn't able to kind of fully get into using all of that stuff. I needed to be around book people and soak up, you know, if I went from Donald Moss to this situation, I was still learning myself. I was still learning, you know, Know, how, how am I going to sign people? Who am I going to sign? What are, what is the process? I figured it out. And by the time I got to Joanna and basically Joanna was saying, you know, can you work on commission? And I said, no, no. I mean, that's one of the things that is always that people say to me, you know, editors and other folks that, you know, when you work on commission, you got to hustle. Cause if you're not doing anything, nothing is happening. It's very different when you work with a salary. And I think that I was at a level where I was frustrated and I felt entitled. And then, you know, I always wanted to raise every year, but I was like, I wasn't really, <laughs> I wasn't really doing anything compared to what I'm doing now. I just needed to kind of shift into another gear. And I think Joanna was very upfront about all the things that she could offer there are different stages of moving up in the company, but you got to start where everybody starts and this is the amount and it's a draw situation, which is kind of like an advance. You know, you get fronted a certain amount of money and then you have to earn that back before you start earning your own money. And I heard everything that she said. I remember when we were talking <laughs> and when we were having drinks, I kind of felt my, my heart kind of drop into my stomach because I thought this is, 
this is a leap that I'm going to be taking. Like I hear what she's saying, but it's such a massive change from what I had been doing, working for five plus years in this kind of corporate world. But something inside of me knew I just was like, you got to do this. You got to do this. Something in my gut was like, you have to do this. And it was much more challenging than I could have ever imagined. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but that's where I kind of think that I trusted my gut to go in that direction because I would figure it out. But it was, you know, leaving an agency and I, I had a bunch of clients come with me, but I had to leave all of the deals at the, at the other agency. And so I was really starting fresh when I started at New Leaf. I needed to sign, find new clients. You know, they definitely had people that would come to New Leaf that they thought, oh, this is like a JL kind of project. Hey, do you want to try this out? So I was signing my own clients. There were some things that were sent my way. And it was kind of a slow build, but just a completely working on commission and that different environment. And also being with New Leaf, like New Leaf is amazing. The way that everybody communicates, where it was very siloed at my old gigs, New Leaf is very communicative. We all encourage each other. It's 98% badass women. It's just like a really good vibe. And it was what I needed in order to kind of learn and grow. What was the biggest challenge that you feel really helped you to grow as an agent while you're at New Leaf? I mean, I had to kind of cut my life in half. I just kind of knew, I put myself in a mindset where I was kind of like, all right, I'm just going to figure out how to make this work. And I was very adamant about not taking another waitressing job Mm. because I knew that this to be a challenge for me. And I understood that waitressing had served me so well, but I thought I really have to be all in here. I really have to be all in here. And there's nothing other than this. And I just kind of kept saying that to myself while I was, you know, signing new clients and while I was, you know, kind of learning the ropes at New Leaf. And, uh, I think that was the most challenging part of it was getting over that hump of, it's almost like, you know, you're an entrepreneur. Like I work at this company, but I like, I got to do what I got to do. Like nothing, Mm. you know, nothing's happening unless I'm doing something. I mean, I've said that before and I find myself saying that when I'm talking about my job, because even now I work from home. Most of the time I go into the office on Wednesdays, but people say that thing where they're like, I can never work at home. Like I would fall asleep on the couch. I would do, I wouldn't be motivated. I wouldn't. And I'm always like, no, I mean, I can't speak for anybody else, but I can't just chill and like Netflix and hang out and do whatever. (laughs) If I know I have like a million things to do. And also because when I do them and I put that ball in motion, I sign new clients and then I go on submission and then I get my clients deals. And it's the excitement that comes from the process, even though sometimes it's not even, I was going to say sometimes it's hard to get it going, but, and sometimes it is, but when the momentum picks up, you don't want to stop. You don't want to sleep in, <laughs> you know, you don't want to dilly dally. Mm-hmm. You kind of have the momentum going and things are working. And then you're kind of like, oh shit, this is working. <laughs> what is a range of salaries from intern to then going up to junior to then going up to senior agent, just ballpark, just for those who may be curious if it's something that they can just jump in and be okay. You know what I mean? So just more of a general landscape. Especially if you're starting from the beginning, you're going to be starting doing administrative kind of stuff. So you can expect an administrative kind of a salary. Uh, And I think that it's comparable 
with what I think editors make. Like I'm not too, I don't want to necessarily throw numbers out there because I don't know for sure. But I would say on like the lowest end of like a, a, a corporate scale, I think is where it would be. And to piggyback on that, most people have other jobs like this. Mm. It's weird. Like you got to get a job so you could do your job. Like it's Mm -hmm. this weird kind of thing where I definitely know people that work at yoga studios and people who are still working at, you know, working as baristas or unless you are. And I think that a lot of literary agents are, and people that work in publishing are married, you know, have some kind of family money, uh, have some kind of a support system, doing a gig on commission, doing an uncertain gig on commission without any financial support. It feels a little bit like an extreme sport. And I think a lot of people in the industry already have some kind of comfort, not a lot of them, but some of them. So to answer your question, it's not a lot of money. It's probably not enough to live off of. You're probably going to need, you are going to need to have, I don't know why I'm saying probably, you are going to need to have another job. You're Mm -hmm. just, you just have to, so that you have to want to do what you're doing. That's kind of why when you find your clients and you're selling something, you better believe that what you're signing up and what you're getting, you're putting your work into is going to sell because you have another job to support this job that may or may not work out. Like that sounds crazy. <laughs> like that sounds crazy, but it is, it, it is what it is. I think that how much money can you make? I don't know. I'll let you know. Clearly people make, people make bank. I remember talking to somebody who I wanted to, you know, who I could tr- maybe see signing down the line. We were having lunch and I was just talking with her and she was, she's represented by somebody else. And she had said, she still has a very high powered agent said she spends one day working on this person's career, the next day working on this person's career, then maybe the third day working on a bunch of other people. And then the next, the last two days, she's like riding her horses and like, you know, doing stuff like that. And this author said, I want to be the kind of person where I take up your an entire day or like I take up an entire two days. And I thought, you know, it's really interesting how that person, that agent, once you have enough books that are doing well, and if they backlist and then one big client begets another big client, not that people don't move around and stuff, but I think once you have the momentum going, I think the opportunities for making money are kind of endless. I mean, if you look at Netflix, I can't remember the show right now, but I remember watching the credits of some show and seeing the literary agent as one of the producers. And I was like, what? what? Like the possibility for, and I was just kind of like, okay. And so, you know, you will start with like, what feels like $0. But if you're feeling it and you tap into something that you're excited about, I mean, you can, you can make it happen. I'm not, it's, I mean, not to sound cliche, but it's like, you just got to ride the wave of energy and just let build your foundation and, and let each thing push you to the next level. Really quickly. Okay. When you mentioned backlist, yeah. can you just give like a really quick blurb about what, what exactly is backlist? Yeah, of course. So backlist means that you have books that have been selling for years and years and years and years. Like I feel like Judy Bloom has like a sick backlist, right? Like, mm. are you there? God, it's, And like people, books that just keep getting printed and published and making, earning royalties, basically, you know, you can get, make a lot of money. If you have a huge advance, that's great. But if you don't earn out your advance and you don't make royalties, like that money is that money. It's not really, you know, it is what it is for the amount of time that you have it. If you have something and you earn and you're continuously earning royalties, then that is 
that's the that's the royalty check that comes in, right? That you feel like you did that work once, and then like let's get paid for as long as po- as as possible. So I think that okay. So you this know, a- this may be a dumbass question, but when you mention earn out your advance, I thought yeah. you just get a check, and that's like you know when you. If, if the author is like, OK, here's, you know, it got accepted. You you found a publishing house or, you know, that step. And then so they give you the advance check. So what do you mean mm-hmm. by earning out that check? Yes. Sure. Um, so. When you get an advance, basically what it means is that is the entire sentence is it's an advance on against your royalties on royalties. So. The publishing house is giving you that check, but that's because they expect to make at least that much money on royalties uh, on on your project. Now, this is like super loosey goosey. There are a gazillion exceptions to the rule, but this is the general principle is that, you know, if you have an advance of ten thousand dollars, then your royalty percentages have to add up to that ten thousand dollars before you get another check. So you can get your advance check. But then there's a there's a there's a lag time. So if you're if you don't sell enough books to uh, to equal the amount of money that you were advanced, then you're not making any royalties and you don't have to pay back your advance. The money that they pay you is the money that they pay you unless you're in breach of contract, like you didn't hand in the manuscript or something like that. But you need to earn back that money that they advance you prior to receiving any royalty checks. Does that make sense? What is it that catches your eye? Is it just like an intuitive thing? You can't put your finger on it. There's no actual guideline or is have you noticed a pattern? I just know it in my gut and I want to be able to say it more. I want to be able to say it in a way that's easier to grasp. But I, I honestly feel like when I, when I read something, I get a lot of clients by referrals. And I think that that is helpful for me because if someone that I meet kind of knows me and understands what interests me and what kind of makes me tick and what I vibe on, then they are going to refer me to people that they meet somebody and they're like, Oh, that's kind of like a JL person. I think that person. So I've been getting a lot of really great referrals. And I think the people that have the stories that may, I'm very, my feelings are very close to the surface or rather I'm very in touch with my feelings. And, and so when something is amazing, I feel it in my gut, like almost immediately. Like if I see, you know, if, and this, when I'm out in the street, this is what I love about living in New York city. Like I'm stimulated by people's creativity and stories on a regular basis. And I, and because I have some kind of a visceral reaction, that's when I feel like, Oh, there's something there. Do I know I can sell it? I'm not really sure. Like I just follow the, I follow the feeling and then I kind of make a decision. I mean, everything that makes me feel something, whether it's, you know, it makes me laugh or it makes me sad or it's poignant or it needs to be told or whatever the feeling may be. I just kind of follow that. And sometimes a lot of the time, just because somebody makes me feel something doesn't mean that I can sell it. I think that that's a challenge. You know, I, cause I, I'm, I have a wide variety of feelings, but I can't sell everything that I take on. So I have to be judicious about the things that I take on. So I have to think about, you know, is this a, is this person, whatever they're talking about, is it a conversation in the current zeitgeist? What is going on with this person in terms of their, 
you know, their connectivity with their audience, you know, what, what is it about their voice and the way that they tell their story about what they're talking about in a way that's different and engaging and, and, you know, kind of gets to the core. Um, so I guess I kind of do put things through a bit of a filter, but really where it starts from is, do I, does this make me feel some kind of a real feeling not a, not something that's contrived. And I've tried that. If I see something that I think, Hey, this looks like, you know, a lot of people are doing this or this has a commercial vibe or, you know, like if I try to make myself like something, like it just doesn't work. I just have to, I have to pay attention to how I feel when I'm reading something or having a meeting with somebody. If I meet with somebody in person, how do they look? How do they engage? What What are they saying? Are they passionate about it? That thing too. Like if someone is passionate about something, like people can talk me into things, you know, with their, with their passion. If somebody approaches me and says, what should I write about? I'm kind of like, I don't know, dude, like you got to tell me what you want to write about because that you're going to make me excited. And if you make me excited, the, the enthusiasm that I bring to things like that's like, that's what, that is what I bring. So uh, give me something to get excited about. And then I can see, you know, can I sell it? Um, oh, wow. Okay. So right now you're mo- mostly going off of referrals. You don't do as much like sub- submission query situations. Yes. Just to. Yeah, I do. I do. I definitely do some, but I will say, and I will say this for, you know, for your listeners, it's, and I teach those classes at Gotham. Like I talk about this on a regular basis, try to be as verbal and open about what you're doing as you possibly can, because you never know who knows who and who's, you know, who's your cocktail waitress, who's yeah. your this, who's your that. You just don't know. Yes. And I think that talking about it and you don't have to be like, you don't have to be like, you know, all braggy and stuff. Like you can just, if you mention about something that you're naturally excited about, people are going to genuinely want to help you. You're going to attract the person that knows somebody that's going to want to help you and put you on. And then you kind of start that wheel of, of, of momentum going. So I do look at my queries, but I definitely not, not as much as people who were kind of in my periphery. We were connected through Josh Sippy from Gotham Writers, and he's this super nice guy, really loves writers, cares about them, and he is a writer himself. So they have this, the Gotham Writers Conference, which he credited you a lot and said that you were a huge part of the that coming to fruition. And this is why I'm curious where you are going to be very involved with this conference, yes? So do you, can we get into this? And like, can you give me a little bit about, from your perspective, what it was about this conference that attracted you. I mean, for me personally, I loved that it seemed really hands-on and very respectful to people's times, like everyone's times, like everyone involved from the literary agents to the the writers coming in. I'm always hearing conferences are usually what, like quick pitches, but this is like hours long. So I've been teaching at Gotham on and off for years. I teach a, I teach a couple of classes online. I, I teach a couple of live classes. And what kind of topics are they? Uh, one is how to get published. And the way that I describe it is really the way that you at the top of the podcast were describing literary agents in general. What we do is kind of be, you know, the Oz behind the curtain. I really look at that class as kind of pulling back the curtain and letting students know 
what, you know, who are literary agents, who are publishers, what do editors do? Like what happens to your manuscript or your book proposal after you spend all this time laboring over it? Like you're sending it out into the world and you have no idea what's going on. So you're sending something that's very meaningful to you out and you have no control anymore. So, and you won't have any control, but at least if you kind of know what's going on, then maybe you can feel a little bit better about it. So that's how I approach that class. It's really kind of like a soup to nuts of who everybody is and what they do and kind of the path of your manuscript. And we take, we go on a lot of different paths in terms of, you know, the great things that can happen and like the lame things that can happen. And I answer a lot of questions uh, and it's generally, it's a good class. Um, and then I, t- and we, and we, uh, I teach how to write a query letter as well. We go through that process. And then the other class is, how to write a book proposal, which is exactly what you think it is, but it's all kind of introductory um, material. And they're, you know, they're fun classes to teach because the people who are there, they want to be there. It's not mm-hmm. like an obligatory thing. So they're there to kind of soak it up and, and learn new stuff. So it's generally a great group of people. Everybody that works at the office at Gotham is amazing. <laughs> um and it's just a good, it's just a good fun place. So Josh reached out to me and said that he wanted to pick my brain about conferences in general. And I went in there, we talked like this for me for over an hour and I offered all of my opinions and, you know, he asked me a bunch of questions. They're just looking to make it more accessible. And yes, you're right. Respectful of, of the people who were participating, everybody's time. And just to make it less just make it different, almost the opposite of what any other conference is. So I'm, I mean, I'm excited. I actually don't know the whole, like all of the programs that are going on. Like I just said, all right, throw me in. I'll, whatever it is that you need, I'll do it. I think I'm teaching a class. And then I saw that there's something called agent game show. And I'm kind of like, oh my God, what is that going to be? <laughs> but whatever's clever, I'll just figure it out when I get there. No, I think I think I think it'll be I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be great. I'm really excited because when Josh was sharing more about this conference, you could really hear. And I mean, it's clear from his conversation with you that they didn't want to just do a Joe Schmo random conference that, you know, there's tons of that around here. And you could just hear the passion and like the type of deep research he was doing, having that over an hour conversation with you because they just care that much. And I do know people usually feel like it's a cattle call when they go to conferences and stuff and they just feel like, okay, well, I just dropped like 800 bucks and I just, you know, I was waiting for the the two minutes that I had uh, or was it like 30 seconds or something like that? I've never been to one myself. But when I hear about it, I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I, that would, I would be like sweating and that would just be not a good situation. But then when, when we were talking about this on the phone together, Josh and I, and he was talking about how like, you know, this would be like hours together with a literary agent and just like really going over I think it was like uh, for, it was like the pitching roundtables was like one of them. Mm-hmm. And there's actual time that you're having with each other. You see each other as not just products, but people. You're like, oh, that's a human being who also has to go totally. home, eat dinner, make dinner, clean up. You know what I mean? Rather than like, OK, in and out. Are you are you sellable or not? You know, that's so much pressure yeah. for someone just to freaking walk in like that. Like, hello, I can be the next, you know, top seller for you and you can make your money and I'm a great bet for you. No, it's like you get to know each other. And I, I think he also mentioned that it's 
it's vetted. They're actually going through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, thank you for mentioning that because that was one of the first things that he mentioned. And I remember being like, oh, okay. Like, okay, that's good. Like, I like to hear that. It was almost, <laughs> it was like he said it and I was like, oh, that's a novel idea. You know, and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean that I was at a conference a couple of months ago um, that was specifically for people who were a little bit further down the road in terms of, you know, where were, they were out of their career or where they were ready to approach what they were ready to approach. And it was the level of conversation that I had with the, and these people were also, I think they were taking, um, you know, either MFA classes or just cl- just writing classes. And so the level of focus and dedication and also a little bit of a thicker skin, I think, look for, for people who are newbie, 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 newbie town, uh, that's great. And I think that you should go writers conferences can be a place where you can just kind of identify as an author, kind of show up in a place where there are a million other people that are just as nervous as you are. And you're all just kind of, you know, doing your elevator pitches for each other. And it's awkward and it's weird. And it's kind of like, you know, the orientation when you first go to college and you don't even know if you're going to be friends with these people. And you're, <laughs> you know, like it's all that kind of weirdness because everybody is like, who am I in this new environment? What is this new identity that I'm taking on that I'm going to have to hone and sell to, you know, to people? Like, how do I navigate the business side of, of this and still have it feel natural? So I think that the kind of energy that the new people bring is awesome. And I have so much fun with them. And then the kind of energy that the more seasoned people bring allows you to go deeper and sometimes I feel like I'm able to do a bit more. I mean, of course, I'm able to do a bit more because those people are, are, are farther along. So I think that taking the time to vet people and know what kind of conference you want to curate and then creating that energy is going to make for something super, super cool. I even double checked. And yes, indeed, they vet them by making them pitch their own query letters and include a really well-written first 10 pages. So you know the quality coming in is going to be excellent. Right. I was double checking because I mentioned like, you know, you guys are spending hours and I just didn't want to misspeak. And I double checked and yes, indeed, it says you will spend four hours with two agents presenting your query and first pages, listening to others do the same and getting in-depth feedback from agents about your work in the publishing process. See, that's what really got my attention to where I'm just like, wow, you guys really care. And you're actually putting the time and heart into this and you're creating a safe space for people to actually get to know each other in a different light. And like you were mentioning, you were, you were able to jump in and dive deeper if you want to and, and all of that and getting to know newer or like the, the older off, like the people who've been around for a while, this is really exciting. Um, and this happens, I believe in October, this is October. Yeah, I want to say like 25th, yes, 26th. Correct. Yep. Friday, Saturday, yeah. October 25th and 26th. For you, you know, you get to do your work at New Leaf and you're feeling so fulfilled creatively and like a mentor through Gotham Writers as a teacher and also at the conference, which is always so nice. They always say like, you know, when you're working, you're working, you're doing great, you're successful. You you reach a level where you're like, okay, well, how can I give back? Because then that's another level of finding joy, right? In your life. And you you go home happier. You go home feeling like you actually made differences in people's lives outside of just your own career. You're out there actually making a difference and shedding so much light for those people who are really clueless like me and who who want to know more information. I'll be honest. I have no idea what the hell is going on. So I'm always asking questions. I hear you. No, I think it's great. That's the only way that you figure it out. And it's my pleasure to do that. And I will say 
it happened to be that I did this other conference a couple of months ago and I'm doing this one in October and I haven't been doing too many of them lately in a while rather. And, and it's been nice to kind of like fold it in a little bit more because it's just a different, it's a different kind of energy. And also if, if somebody's trying to create something new in, in the, in the conference space, I mean, I'm all, yeah, like new, new stuff. I'll try it. <laughs> Any, anything that kind of breaks up the monotony and the staleness of what is the whole idea of everybody just doing things because that's the way that they're always done and everybody kind of getting in a line and being nervous and, you know, all this money and all those things that you were talking about, like the, the stakes being so high, you can't be your best self if you're preoccupied and nervous with everybody. You know, I, I really try to make people feel comfortable and just be chill and even just be like, don't read your pitch, like to talk to me about something. Mm. Like I just try to put people at ease. And then when they talk about the thing that they're excited about, then I can kind of really feel it because all the other stuff that makes you nervous, it's just kind of getting in your way. And I think that conferences can definitely make you feel waiting online to pitch somebody like that's scary as shit. That's scary. <laughs> better for me I mean honestly even on a selfish level like I don't want you to feel uncomfortable like Mm -hmm. I want you to feel good because I want to feel good like let's have a real conversation and I try to generate that and then when people see that they can be comfortable and then if somebody walks away from my table smiling then hopefully the next person and the other people online are going to be like oh okay that person doesn't look like they were like decimated and then maybe you can kind of change the energy in the line by being like oh JL she's not going to bite your head off if you want somebody that's serious and scary and somebody that's just kind of like militant like that, there are those agents too. You, that's the other thing. I feel like as an, if you're looking for an agent, it's cliche, but there's a lid for every pot. Like you got to get, you know, what you need. And we are a varied breed. There's so many different types of personalities and agenting, and you're going to find what you need if you keep looking. And conferences are definitely a good place to do that. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about this. And JL, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Hello, listeners. So that wraps up our conversation with the lovely JL Sturmer. And we're going to jump right into my conversation right now with Josh Sippy. By the way, he's the guy that JL and I were just talking about. Josh Sippy. Hello. Uh, So JL and I were just going on and on and on about you throughout her entire episode. So people can hear you are actually an existing human being, which is awesome. So Josh, I'm so excited to have you on. We first met at 88 Cups of Tea's three-year anniversary last August 8th, and you were just so lovely. And it was just so nice to meet you in person. And you just represent so much of the good in the world. And I'm really excited about us just chatting right now. You are a writer yourself. And I just want to get into that super quick, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I am a writer. I, I haven't always been a writer, but I sort of stumbled my way into writing when I realized how much fun it is to tell stories. Being someone who didn't read a lot as a kid, I kind of found my way into wanting to tell the stories that I never had the chance to read as a kid. And that's sort of where I find myself at now. I I write middle grade, uh, a lot of middle grade. I'm always writing. It's been motivated by this desire to give young kids something worthwhile to read, which is something I just didn't have. Are you allowed to share a little bit about what you're working on right now, your work in progress? Yeah. Which one? I've got tons of works in progress. (laughs) Okay, Uh, okay. The one that gets (laughs) you most excited, most pumped up about. Uh, well, most of them take on the same general idea. They, they take place in historical settings, which 
don't let that scare you. It's not like the history is, is boring like it was in school. Uh, but it's it's focused on sort of interesting episodes of history that you might not have heard of. Like, for instance, one that I'm working on now, there was actually this thing that happened back in industrial age England where they had gangs of orphans that would steal powdered wigs off of rich people's heads. And what? Yeah, this happened. And they used small monkeys to do it, too. Wait, so are I, you serious right now? I, I am as serious as I can be about wig oh snatching. It was a real thing. And I just had to write a story about it. So that's what I'm working on right now. Oh my God, that's brilliant. I I want to read about this. I'm going to Google this after <laughs> we hop off our call. Um, yes, because I am one of those kids who uh, was so bored in history classes and I would dip in and out. And hence why I usually ended up in detention because I didn't show up <laughs> in class. But if there were books like yours out there, I'll be very honest, I would sit my butt in class and actually read and show up on time and stay throughout the entire class. So where were you back then, Josh? Right. It's all my fault. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm glad now you're going to have these books coming out and it's a fun way to teach kids history. And just, I could just see so many people getting so excited about it. I think it's a really fun fact is that um, we don't have to share names, but I know uh, for listeners listening in right now, Josh and I, like we've chatted before and at our three-year anniversary, we invited everyone who helped get 88 cups of tea to where it is today, you know, listeners, collaborators, everybody. And so he met another 88 cups of tea listener for the first time and connected with her and they're writing buddies, right? Yeah, we actually, we formed our own little writing group and then we've since added more and we meet every Tuesday as much as we can and sometimes on a Thursday as well, just because we're both, well, all of us in that group now are, are in the same process. We're writing and querying. So it's really nice to have that support base there. And it all started at the 88 Cups of Tea Party. Oh, I'm so proud to hear this. You have no, I feel like a mama hen, <laughs> like this huge plump mama hen clucking around. I'm like, yes, this makes me so happy. You have no idea. I'm like, my cheeks are swelling up. I can't stop <laughs> smiling. Um, and it actually hurts because it's like squished up. But that's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. I would love for you to share what you do at Gotham Writers as well, because I know you've juggled multiple jobs, like real talk. You know the hustle (laughs) of being a writer. (laughs) I actually moved out to New York because I was living in the Midwest, and I felt like there was just nothing for me out there. So I just came out here on a wing and a prayer, feeling like I wanted to be a writer, and this is where all writers live. And I didn't really have anything to go on. So I got a job at Barnes and Nobles as a bookseller and thought, this is it. I'm in the publishing industry. And I couldn't have been more wrong. It was so cool to be around all those books, but it was like, this, this is not where I need to be. And that was back when minimum wage was like eight bucks an hour. So I was, I was like, it was not going well. So I ended up getting a serving job as we all inevitably do at a really, really not good place. It was just sort of a poorly run place. Referencing the JL interview, how she met Donald Moss. I used to always go into work thinking, I hope that somebody in the publishing industry, agent, editor, I don't care, just sits at one of my tables because I will have a conversation and I will, I will quit today if I can. And it never happened for me. I was there for about two years and it just never happened. I mean, I've always been juggling a bunch of jobs. I run a soccer website. I now am also writing about baseball and I do all kinds of stuff like that. But it gradually led to me reuniting with Gotham Writers after an internship here in 2016. And now I'm, I serve as their director of contests and conferences. So I, all of the Twitter contests and our website contests go through me. Uh, and it, all of our conferences, we, we go to tons of conferences, Writer's Digest. We were just at Thriller Fest this past weekend, which was a ton of fun. 
And I just go there and I talk to people about how wonderful Gotham is and about how they should come to Gotham and take classes here and our new conference coming up. So yeah, that's kind of what I do here. And I've gradually been able to cut down on these other side jobs. So it's been nice. It's been really nice. First of all, thank you so much for unpacking what you do at Gotham so that Mm -hmm. everyone understands more. But also this conference, when we were talking about this conference, actually in private several months ago, just discussing what you came up with, what you spearheaded, and really about this all came out of a need, like this desperation for you to find something to help other writers in your position. And I, I really wanted to hop on this call, especially just so that listeners can hear from you directly, you know, what it was like you found some holes in the system and you just wanted to fill it in and provide something that's not out there. And that's what makes this so special and why I'm deeply rooting for you guys. And you can tell JL as well, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, we go to a lot of conferences and I myself as a writer have attended many conferences and I've pitched agents and they all sort of go with this one-on-one setup. You meet the agent for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, sometimes 90 seconds. And you really just sit there and you're just stressed as can be. And they're stressed as can be. You're just waiting for them to say, send me pages. And it gets to the point where even the agents are thinking, I'm just going to say, send me pages because it's easier than saying no. Mm. And that's, we, we, I kind of thought, you know, after doing it so many times, I'm just like, there's got to be another way that this can be done. So I reached out to, I actually, I think the count's now at like 25 different agents. And I asked them if they like how the, that pitching is done, if they think it's beneficial. And I was really surprised to see how many of them said, no, they don't like it. They don't like the one-on-one format. Wow. And we had already kind of been planning this Gotham Writers Conference. It's always been something I've wanted to do even back when I was an intern here. But I had just assumed that one-on-one pitching was the way it's done because that's what everybody did. So when I started getting this feedback from agents about how they didn't like it, I thought, well, let's do something different because I, I've heard horror stories from these agents about going to these conferences and you know, writers get what they want out of it. They paid to be there, but agents are kind of not treated that well at these conferences sometimes. They're put in a room, they listen to pitches, and then they leave and they don't really have a break or anything. And I didn't think that was right. I I, I mean they're they're just as valuable. They're the reason people are going to these conferences. Yep. So they should they should be enjoying their time just as much. So that was kind of what we had in mind when we really changed the view of the Gotham Writers Conference was to make this a conference, yes, for the participants, obviously we want these writers to make genuine connections, but we want the agents to actually value their time there as well. So what we ended up coming up with, and it was so many people chipped in to help along the way. Uh, One of the agents uh, that's working with us, Jeff Kleinman from Folio, recommended that I talk to one of his clients, uh, Karen Dion. She's a bestseller. She used to run the Backspace conference, which stopped operating, I believe, in 2012. But it was sort of a similar thing where instead of pitching one-to-one, you did a group format. And she hopped on a call with me and was so helpful with fleshing out this idea then, you know, what we have now is what I think is a finished product of walking the middle ground between agents and participants being both happy in what's happening at the conference. So that's how we found our way into the format for the Gotham Writers Conference. Rather than pitching an agent one-on-one for 10 minutes and then leaving and wondering, well, did I do enough? Was it good enough? Are they going to remember me? What we're doing is we're having tables. Right now, we're up to six tables, but we're going to keep expanding as applications roll in. Uh, Each table is a different genre. So there's a middle grade YA table. There's a thriller, mystery, horror table. There's a science fiction, fantasy table. And at each table, there's going to be two agents, two top agents in that genre and uh, up to eight to nine other writers in that genre. 
And you're going to be spending the day with that table. So it's not just 10 minutes and done. It's a four-hour process that you're going to be spending with these agents. You're going to read your query, your first few pages, and everyone around the table is as well. So even when you're not getting feedback for your project, you're hearing someone else's feedback, which is also just as beneficial because what they're doing could relate to what you're doing. And it should if you're in the same genre. This was day two out of the yes. two days, right? The second day is the only day where they get to speak one-on-one and like in this small group with the agents. Correct. Even before then, they're already vetted, right? Which I found was really interesting. Anyone that wants to go has to apply to get in. So can you clarify that for me just to make sure I got all those details right? Absolutely. The other thing that the agents emphasize is if you want to make us happy, make sure that the quality is there. Make sure that the people that are there actually need to be talking to agents now because you don't want to have somebody there who just finished their novel yesterday after working on it for a month and it's 5,000 words. Well, they're not, they're not in a place yet where they need to talk to agents. And at that point, it's just kind of a waste of time, not just for the agent, but for that writer as well, because they're not ready yet. So what we're looking for when people apply, we're not judging based on subjectivity. We're not saying, oh, I don't like what your book's about. We're just looking to make sure you understand what you have. We look at your query letter to see if your word count matches up with what's typical in that genre. We have had to turn people down just because sometimes I get an application that says, you know, unfortunately, my story is 5,000 words long and it's a novel. And I'm like, well, that's not a novel. So Mm. I'll reach out to them and I'll let them know this is why and invite them to to day one or to apply in the future. But we really want to make sure, like you said, that people that are there are vetted, that they belong there and are ready to talk to an agent. And you know, it, it's also happened where people have applied and their query maybe hasn't been so good, but you can tell by the writing that yeah. they belong there. And when that's the case, I'll reach out to them and I'll work on their query with them until it's in a place that it's, it's good enough to get some attention. Can you run us through day one? Absolutely. Day one is sort of our homage to every other conference out there because every conference needs to have panels and presentations and people up on a stage talking about the publishing industry. But one of the things that, again, using agent feedback that they emphasize is you don't want to shoot low. You don't want to do the basics because the worst thing is for people to show up and be like, well, I didn't learn anything. I knew all that stuff. So what we're doing is we're taking a sort of higher approach to it, talking about more of the advanced stuff that even if people don't necessarily know what we're talking about. They can at least think, okay, well, I need to know these things to know that I'm ready for the next stage. So that's sort of what we gear day one towards is rather than being like, this is how you get an agent because people know how to, it's just the process of getting it. So we're having agents and writers speak to the process of not just getting an agent, but what happens after that. And then one of the the panel that I'm most excited about is the last panel of the day, which is an agent game show. And right now, I still don't exactly know what it's about. I just know that Jeff Kleinman from Folio has done this before. And he said it's a lot of fun. And it's just like a quiz type game show with a bunch of different agents. And I'm excited to see that. And then there's a free happy hour afterwards. Uh, Participants, agents will be there and you don't have to pay for any drinks. So that's the idea behind day one. (laughs) That's going to be so fun. It's like a huge party. Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. Okay, so that's going to be, from what I remember, it's at the Ace Hotel, but I I think I already chatted with JL about it. But just to double check, it's Ace Hotel in New York City, Friday, October 25th and Saturday, October 26th, right? Correct. Yeah. It's at 29th and Broadway, the Ace Hotel. I'm so excited for you guys. Oh my (laughs) gosh. This is going to be such an awesome time. Is there anything else that our community would benefit from hearing about? There was one thing you mentioned uh, going back to the vetting process. The reason why we do this, it's sort of like a mantra here at Gotham is we don't just want to 
take your money and, and send you off unguided. We want to make sure that if you're going to give us your money, that you're getting out of it what you're putting into it, which is why, again, to touch back on why we're doing this vetting process, we could let anyone in and just take your money and say good luck. But we want to make sure that that if you're going to invest in us, that we're giving just as much back to you as you're giving to us. I love that so much. Okay, Josh, you mentioned that you and your writing group, uh, you all are in your querying stage. So are you feeling good? Are you nervous? How are you doing? (laughs) I mean, I've been querying for three years now. It is a long process. And it's going to be one of those things where once I finally get it, I'm going to be that person on Twitter that's like, don't ever give up. If it happened to me, it can happen to you. I mean, I've heard it before, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I, I did the pitch portion of Thriller Fest this past Thursday. Oh, how did it go? It went really well. I met with a bunch of agents, some who already had my stuff. And I just <gasps> sat down and said, hey, how you doing? You still have my stuff? And they were very receptive. Got a lot of requests where I wanted to, and I'm excited with where that's going. So yeah, I'm excited about the querying process all over again. And you know, even if it doesn't lead to anything, I'm still going to be writing. This is so exciting. Yay! <laughs> and look at you just doing it and, and really, you know, having this dream with this conference since when you were interning and you said in 2016 yeah. and to now 2019, and you're actually making it happen, which is really pretty badass. So congratulations to you. I'm so proud of you. And thank, thank you. you for doing this for fellow writers, for the community, for anyone that's you know, in the situation where they're ready. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that wraps up our episode. JL, thank you so much for being so transparent and sharing your experience as a literary agent and for sharing so much incredible advice for all of our listeners wanting to break into the industry and for any of our storytellers interested in learning more about how everything works behind the scenes for a literary agent. Storytellers, thank you for hanging out and listening in. As always, please be sure to drop by and say hi to JL over on Twitter at JL Sturmer. If you'd love to hear our full extended conversation where we chatted for nearly an hour and a half digging into the literary agent world, you can access it as a patron. So head over to patreon.com slash 88 cups of tea to find out more. And don't forget, if you head over to her show notes page at 88cupsofteacom slash podcast slash JL-Sturmer, you can download that awesome cheat sheet of do's and don'ts when querying an agent. It's a downloadable bonus that JL exclusively provided for our community. You'll also find the resources and books mentioned in her episode, tweetable quotes, and the timestamps of highlights throughout the entire conversation. As you heard, right after my conversation with JL, you heard me chatting with the awesome Josh Sippy from Gotham Writers. Be sure to head over to writingclasses.com slash writers conference to learn more and be sure to grab your spot. That's writingclasses.com slash writers conference. Alrighty, listeners, I will catch you next Thursday. In the meantime, have a super productive rest of your week. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.